Right on. Good morning. How are you? Good. Personally looking forward to uh, the transferring of those funds going to building maintenance. I'm getting a, a deck off the back of my office and I think a hot tub and it's going to be pretty awesome. Thank you guys for that. Uh, thank you elders for making some uh, hard decisions there. I thought it was a no-brainer, but uh, that's good. It might rain on you in this building, but I'll be warm in my hot tub. So, um, Welcome. My name is Josh. I'm one of your pastors here. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be up here. Uh, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, I'll be with you for the next four weeks. So uh, if I'm not your flavor for the rest of the time, I won't be here. So that's okay. You can bear with me for four weeks. Um, just being honest, though, it's, it's a bit difficult coming up after Pastor Rich. Right, so uh, if you've been here, you know that he just has a presence about him. I mean, you come in and it just feels like you're at grandma and grandpa's. You just feel the love and just a lot of wisdom there. I mean, he's been a pastor far longer than I've been alive. And he has, he's got notes uh, that we can follow along. And so now you get half the wisdom and no notes. So I guess good luck. Um, if you've got a Bible, though, let's go John chapter 1. Uh, I, I believe that you need a Bible. I've said this for years now. Uh, you got to know how to move around in your Bible, and, and it's good to have. It's good to physically have a Bible. Uh, shame on you digital people. I'm joking. My wife's digital. I, I, it's, it's okay. Uh, but if you need a real Bible, we have them. There's a stack of them on a table out there. Grab one. It's, it's good to get into the Word. Put your name on it. Bring it back next week. Uh, we want you to have one. So uh, officially, I think, I think fall starts tomorrow. Um, September kind of kicks off a, a new season, if you will. And, and for most cities, and, and particularly college towns in general, there's kind of this, this weird season that happens in summer where, where all of a sudden everything kind of comes to a screaming halt, but simultaneously it also ramps up, doesn't it? So, you know, there's a big break. Kids are out of school. You know, in the Northwest, it typically rains from, I don't know, October to June. So we've got about July, August, and September where we know we can get outside. So there's, there's really just kind of this angst inside of us during those months that, that you got to get out, right? And if you, if you don't know what that angst is, that means you haven't been in the Northwest very long, but you, you got to get out. And so um, things really slow down. Um, and as so, it's reflected in our church. Our church kind of slows down in the summer. We, we kind of take a break from a lot of our program type stuff. Our community groups take a break for the summer. Our college ministry looks very different in the summer. Our children's ministry looks different. A lot of the teachers get a break. We've got different teachers coming on. And so uh, really things look very different in the summer. And then comes kind of the fall. And, and really it's funny because I know, I know a lot of pastors in the city and, and we have these conversations sometimes. It almost feels like in the summer, you're kind of holding your breath like, I hope people come back. And then the fall comes and, and most of the time people come back or maybe you go to another church the next fall. But typically kind of things start back in the fall. And, and really what I want to kind of speak into is kind of this time where, where usually you, you've got your, your kind of lead senior guy who's taking the fall and who's saying, okay, this is what we're about as a church. And you're kind of spilling out vision and you're spilling out dreams and you're kind of spilling out desire. And man, this is what we want to do the next year. And maybe you're, you know, spelling out some program type of stuff. And, and, and I'm talking in general terms because we're going to do, do some of that the next four weeks. 
Um, we're going to dream together the next four weeks. I'm going I'm to share some opportunities that we have, maybe in a, a little different way that we haven't shared before, saying, man, what, what would it look like if in the next year we were able to do this? Or what would it look like if we were able to do that? And so there are some things that together we're going to be able to, to dream towards towards this next year. And we have some pretty exciting things coming up. But really the, for the next four weeks... Um, what I really want to say is uh, nothing is changing. And, and, and I mean that in a good way. I mean that as we gather, whether it's summer, whether it's next winter, whether it's four years from now, the reason why we gather has not and will never change. So we press on in this year. Like I said, we, we will dream about the future, but the reason behind why we do what we do has never changed. And so we're going to look at that. What are some of those big things? Why do we gather? I want, to, I want to start our year out. If you can say we're starting year, we're not really starting anything, but it's fall, I guess. So we're starting our year out with who, who is God? Who, who am I? What's my call? What's my expectation here? What are we waiting for? And we want to look at kind of just big picture stuff that really sets a foundation on which we can build for the rest of the year. So for some, it may seem a bit elementary. For some, it may seem old hat, but the word of God tells us to remind ourselves again and again and again because we need reminding we're prone to forget. So each week, I, I hope that our message is really simple. This week is, is really a, a kind of a big intro. I don't have uh, five points with six subpoints in between each one. I'm going to kind of have one big point every week. And, and we're going to kind of get there a little different way. I've, I've never done this before, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a challenge to myself personally. Like typically, we kind of walk through a book, but that, that takes some time. Like we're, I think, 17 weeks into four books of Philippians, and uh, that takes some time. And, and I've, I've, I love walking through a book, but you got four weeks, and no, you're not going to walk through a book and give it justice. You can, you can hit up a theme or kind of a, you know, a topic, and, and that's fun too. But, but what we're going to do in the next four weeks is we're actually going to look at kind of one man. We'll look at one person. I've never preached this way. We're going to look at one guy, and I thought, who better than to look at the greatest man who ever lived? who was not God. All right, if, if you kind of uh, grew up in the church, you might know a little bit about this man. Literally, Jesus calls him uh, the greatest man who was ever born of a woman. You got Matthew 11, Luke 7 saying that. Uh, so I want you to think for a second who that might be. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to open up to John chapter 1. So would you join with me? Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to preach your word. What an honor, what a privilege it is to open up your word and, and God, see how faithful you are to your people. God, I, I'm so encouraged by the words that we're going to read this morning, by the, by the very simple message that we're going to receive. God, I, I pray that as I leave here, my eyes would be fixed on you and you alone. Lord, I, I know what I'm waiting for, and I can't wait for that day to come. God, I, I pray that we as a church, that as we carry on through this next year, that we would have our eyes, that we would have our eager expectation set on you. We thank, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. 
It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. Um, So each week we're going to look at a different passage in the gospel. Uh, Today we'll primarily be in John. We'll skip a little bit to Luke. Uh, And the next couple weeks we'll be in Matthew, primarily chapter 11. But today we start in John 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's uh, that's as far as we're going to get today. I'm going to stop right there. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now, Now, if you read that... It kind of just jumps out of nowhere, verse 6. I mean, we're going to hone in on verse 6. You, you've got just massive language here in terms, of, um, uh, in terms of God, his economy, what he's doing. You've got the word. You've got really language of kind of kingdom and dominion and God doing massive things. And then you get to verse 6 and you read, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this isn't the John who wrote the book. You know, we are in the book of John. This is not the John who, who wrote Revelation. This is not the John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In fact, this John didn't write anything in the Bible at all. Yet, verse 6, in the middle of just this incredibly intense section, says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, who is John, and why does Jesus say, among those born from a woman, none is greater than John. I mean, the first time I read this, I, I really, it, it kind of felt like just out of nowhere, as if someone said something completely off topic while you're talking. You, you ever been in a conversation like that? Where you're just talking to someone, hey, how's your day going? Man, it's really good. You know, life's going well. Well, how's your day going? It's good. I'm, I like apples. And you're like, uh, I have... No idea why you just said that, but okay. And, and really what's happening oftentimes is, is as you're in conversation, you have an idea that leads to another idea that leads to another idea that all of a sudden spits out that says, and there was a man sent from God, his name was John. Well, how, how did that happen? I mean, you, you've got, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and there was a man sent from God, his name was John. I mean, I, I read that, and that's where my mind goes, I, I don't... I don't understand that really. So, so who was this man? And, and what is happening in 1 through 5 uh, that lets us get to verse 6 with any sort of congruency? So let's look at uh, kind of 1 through 5 here. And, and really 1 through 5. And, and I'll just say uh, the first 18 verses of John. Uh, John does a fantastic job at really summarizing the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. Now, uh, you got to know some background to know how it fits in, but he does just an incredible job. So right in the middle there, though, we have this strange verse in verse 6. But this is uh, 1 through 5. It's kind of the 30,000-foot view of what's going on in the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of like when you, when you meet someone who you haven't met for a long time, and they ask you, well, well, what's life like? You know, how do you respond to that? 
You know, I, I, a couple months ago, uh, I met someone who I went to high school with totally randomly. We're in California. We're visiting uh, our family, and I'm at the river, and there's a couple here, a husband and a wife, and uh, I kind of recognized uh, the wife, I thought, but it's kind of weird. You don't want to just keep looking at someone when you're at the river, and, and you know, she comes over, hey, are you Josh? Yeah, we went to high school together. Yeah, it's been a while, and so uh, you kind of have this weird moment where, um, where what do you talk about? You know, you haven't seen someone in 12, 13 years and so they ask you, well, what have you been up to? And, and you kind of have to pick and choose, right? So you, you pick the big things, right? So, oh, man, I, I graduated high school. That was a win. Um, went to college. Uh, I, I got married. I, I went to graduate school. I, I moved out of the country. Um, after that, let's see, uh, I had some kids. Oh, I'm a pastor in Oregon. And, and then after that, like, wh- what else do you say? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When you haven't seen someone in a long time, like unless you're, unless you're sitting down for kind of a 10-hour conversation, there's, there's really not a whole lot you can say without a ton of background and a ton of context. And I really feel like that's what John's doing. He's giving just this massive overview in a couple of sentences. Like, here's the whole Old Testament in four verses. And that's what he does in verse 1. He starts out, in the beginning was the Word. If you were to jump ahead to verse 14, you'd know that the word there uh, he's referring to is Jesus. So in the beginning, Jesus creates. So John starts with the idea that Jesus Christ is author, he is creator, he is sustainer. So in terms of Christianity, in terms of uh, what is foundational, in terms of what is most important, I think you got to start with creation. Right, so so if you're if you're kind of new to the whole Christianity thing, if you're new to church here, um, I, I understand it's it's intimidating to walk into something like this, and and really a lot of things that I say or that Rich say are probably assumed. Um, we we assume that you know certain base things, but man, start there. Start with creation. F- try to figure that out. If if God is who He says He is, you, you got to have a foundation of God being Creator of God being sustainer, of Jesus Christ being God and creating. So John kind of sets that foundation up in verse 1, and he moves on. And he moves on to 4 and 5, and he says, In him was life, this is Jesus he's talking about, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So very quickly, we have introduced this idea that Jesus Christ is creator. He was in the beginning. He was preeminent. He was the first mover. He was creator of all. And then you have kind of this contrasting idea of light and dark. Now, again, if you kind of know your history, if you know kind of Genesis, kind of pre-3, you know the idea that God creates and all is well. There's light. But then darkness does enter. Now, we're not simply talking about a physical light and dark here. Um, We are talking about a spiritual light and dark. So so darkness enters as Satan came into the world, as you and I, um, by our nature, were born sinners. So now this relationship with God is broken, and there is spiritual darkness in this world. Right? It it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, media watching to figure that out, right? I mean, you, you turn on any news station, any newspaper, and you can say, wow, there, there is a lot of darkness that's happening. But the promise here, 
that John gives us, referring back to Genesis, is that the darkness will not overcome the light. And then he gets to John. Well, well, what happened there? You've got the whole idea of creation. You've got the whole idea of sin. And you've got the whole idea of a promised Savior going to restore, going to bring back broken relationship, going to restore that. And then you have the whole Old Testament where you're essentially waiting for this, this fix to what was broken. You're waiting for the time where, where light will overcome the darkness. And that's how John jumps to, there was a man sent from God, his name was John. The whole Old Testament, you've got thousands of years that's being built out where the people of God are waiting. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. They're waiting for what God promised in Genesis 3. Now, one of my, uh, my themes for today is this idea of eager expectation, this idea of waiting. So we're all waiting here. We're, we're waiting for something. This last week, I had no choice but to kind of look at my life and kind of ask some questions. What am I waiting for? One of the most prized decades uh, in the human life, your 20s, I saw come and go. I will never be in my 20s again. I mean, I, I feel old, and, and from what culture tells me, the 20s is kind of the best Best decade, right? Like, Taylor Swift can sing about 22, but I don't hear anyone singing about 37. (laughs) And so, what am I waiting for? I mean, if I were to run into, I mean, this is an honest uh, honest reality check. If I were to run into that same classmate in 40 years from now, I mean, what else do I have on that list? You know, like, okay, graduated, got married, moved away, became a pastor, had some kids. I'm... By the grace of God, I hope to add a couple more kids to that list. Not, not too many more, but one or two. Um, you know, I, I don't plan on being an associate pastor my whole life, so I'm assuming my resume will change at some point. Uh, I've lived long enough and see people who've lived long enough to know that there'll probably be some sort of, um, some sort of loss or some like, big something that will be somewhere in my future. And then, and then, what? And then comes retirement and then comes death. Um, not to paint a horrible picture, but I mean, in the big scheme of things, like what am I waiting for? You know, and and that's not to say that, that I don't have a lot that I expect and I get excited about in, in kind of the here and now, like, man, I look forward to lots of things. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to this moment right here. I mean, for the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm really looking forward to two weeks from now uh, when we're going to be in Matthew 11. I, I really uh, am excited about that. There's, there's lots of things that I look forward to. I, I look forward to in a couple months. My wife and I are going to head out to Idaho. We're going to see her family out there. Uh, it's a fantastic trip, uh, more for me than my wife, but there's an understanding here. Uh, I'll get up at 5 a.m., I'll go hunting till about 10, come home, put enough food in me to leave and go fishing till about dinner time, and we'll repeat that for about six or seven days, but that's, that works well for our family. We have an agreement here, so don't look at me like that. Um, I've got other times where I pour into my kids. That's not one of them, okay? Um, I look forward to that. I look forward to going uh, to Uganda. I, I've I've almost been on two other trips. I, I really hope and pray that that, that happens. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I look forward to bigger things too, man. I, I look forward to, to more kids. I look forward to walking my girls down the aisle. 
You know, I look forward to getting old with my wife. I look forward to lots and lots of things. But, but I want to ask on, on, on a big scale, what, what, are we, what are we waiting for? From John, we, we can see that for a couple thousand years, the entire people of Israel were waiting. And, and sure, life goes, and you can get excited about small things, but they were waiting for something pretty big. So I want to ask, where, where are your eyes fixed? What, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What are you longing for? Is it, is it things that are here, or is it things that are out here? I want, to, I want to look at what the people of the Old Testament were waiting for. It's about 700 years prior to what we're reading in John. We've got uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3, referring to our same guy we read in verse 6. Uh, I'll just read it. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, for 400 years, we're holding on to a promise from Malachi, very last book of Old Testament, waiting for Messiah, but waiting for something pre-Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So they waited and they waited and they waited for Messiah, but something was coming before Messiah. And they knew that a messenger was coming who would prepare the way. Now, now imagine waiting 700 years. Imagine really waiting a couple thousand years if you go back to God's original promise. Now we're going to see here, they waited for a long time and nothing was said. But then you get to John, chapter 1, verse 6, and silence is shattered. Because what they'd been waiting for, for a half a millennium, Finally, we see unravel in one simple verse. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. We're going to read about it. Uh, If you want, you can flip with me uh, over Luke. Go one book to your left. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is the announcement that John is coming. Luke 1, verse 5. We read this. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while they were serving as priests before God, When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. I'm in 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and 
Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I mean, this... This is silence shattered on so many levels. You've got a promise at the very end of of the Old Testament in Malachi 3 that someone's coming. And you've got a long time where no one says anything. Where heaven is silent. And then you have John chapter 1 verse 6. Now, Zachariah and Elizabeth, from everything I can tell, were, um, were people who loved the Lord. Uh, but they were very common people. There's, there's really nothing written about them. There's, there's nothing about their situation or their stature that would say um, they were way better than anyone else. They're very normal people. He was a priest. There were thousands of priests. Um, they were uh, so many that uh, for really uh, hundreds of years, daily priests would do what he does. So what he's doing is not out of the ordinary at all. For him, it would have been a big day. Uh, This was his chance, probably his one and only chance to be able to serve in the holy place. Now, he's not the high priest. It isn't the holy of holies. If you remember, the the holy of holies uh, was separated from the holy place by a curtain. So um, very regularly, a priest of thousands of priests would go into the holy place and would burn incense. And it was his day. He was chosen at random. So he's going in there and in the holy place... While he is at the temple, this is the same temple that we talked about in the, uh, in the winter that was destroyed by Babylon in 586. The same temple that, remember when we were in Haggai and, and they were rebuilding and we were getting excited about things to come that was rebuilt in 516 under the Persian guy uh, Cyrus. Uh, this is the same temple that for hundreds and hundreds of years, very regularly, a priest would come in and burn incense and on this day, A day like every other day before it, silence is shattered. You have the voice of an angel and the appearance of an angel coming to a guy, Zachariah. Now, now if you know your history, think through, when was the last time an angel was seen? It's a long time. I mean, you've got a reference in Daniel, uh, Daniel and the lion's den. Remember uh, children's ministry, anyone? Like, uh, uh... an angel came and closed her mouth. We, we don't know if he physically saw them. We know that that happened. That was, what, 500 years pre-John 1 here? And what does the angel say? He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, now again, they were barren. They were older right? Maybe 60, 70, 80. I don't know. They were older. They didn't have kids. So, so we have the first appearance of an angel in half a millennium, but now we have something more. We have the promise of a, of a miracle. Now, when was the last time we saw a miracle? All right, if, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that it starts out with many. 
Right? You've got creation itself, which is a massive miracle. You've got flood. You've got um, God really moving in so many miraculous ways uh, towards the beginning. But then as kind of the Old Testament moves on, uh, you, you get to like Elijah, Elijah. And then beyond that, you don't really have miracles of this nature happening. And the angel promises a miracle. I like Elijah's, or I like Zechariah's response. I think it's interesting. Uh, in verse 18, he says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years. And I, I love the angel. Um, first of all, if it were me, I'd just say, Wait nine months, buddy. Yeah, you'll find out. Uh, but the, the angel... In really a way that I, I, I don't think it would be healthy for the volume that I, I would need to get there. He, he says, I, I'm Gabriel. And, and then I, I love this next little phrase. He says, I stand in the presence of God. Oh, and by the way, God himself sent me to, to tell you this. So yeah, you can wait nine months if you want, but I'm Gabriel Hello, I, I, okay, I'm not Michael, but I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and he sent me to tell you this. So, so you want to talk about silence shattered, you, you've got half a millennia where there's no angels being seen, no miracles to be known, no word from God himself, and now in a moment in John 1 verse 6, you've got everything happening. You want to talk about silence being shattered. You've got hundreds of years where people are waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And half a millennia passed. And what God promised came true. Now, now put yourself in their shoes for just a second. What are you going to be thinking after year one of waiting? Now, you ever waited for something for a year? It's pretty hard. What about year 10? I mean, I I personally might start doubting after year 10. Like, God, you you promised this guy who's going to come prepare the way. Now, now what about year 30, right? At, At about year 30, you're probably passing this message down to another generation. Right now, how's that generation going to pick it up? Hey, um, we were promised that this would happen. Right? What about year 80? Right? Probably you're gone. It's the next generation, and it's their responsibility to pass it to the next generation. You think they're going to be excited about this promise? Now, what about year 200? What about year 300? What about year 420, 440, 460? 500. And what God promised came true in one verse. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. So like I asked earlier, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for something? Certainly we're all waiting for something. Maybe Maybe we're waiting for retirement. Maybe we're waiting for our kids to grow up. Maybe we're waiting for our kids to move out. Maybe we're waiting to find a spouse. Maybe we're waiting for grandkids. Maybe you're waiting to finish school. 
you're waiting for something. As a church, I can, I can certainly speak to the fact that most of us in some way or another feel like we're waiting as a church. Right? We're, we're waiting for a new leader here. We're waiting for kind of this next season. You know, some of us are, man, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Some of us are, is anything going to happen? I mean, we're waiting. But I want to get back to the big picture. And I want to ask, what are we waiting for? It has been 2,000 years and heaven has been pretty silent. 2,000 years, and we're waiting. We're waiting for a promise. In, in a way very similar to the way that the, old, that the people of the Old Testament were waiting for a promise given to them in Malachi, you and I are waiting. Sometimes it feels pretty foolish. Sometimes it feels like, man, this is year 10. Is anything going to happen? But I believe on a day not unlike the day when Zechariah heard from the angel, very normal day, I truly believe that Christ will return. We know from 1 from Thessalonians 4 that it will be uh, from the voice of an archangel. And I'll just read it. The sound of a trumpet. Christ will return. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Is your hope on that day? Are you waiting for that day? See, I, I think so often we, we just get excited about the things to come. Like, okay, next week this is going to happen. And then next month this is going to happen. And I've got a vacation here. And maybe if I save up, I can get a home here. And maybe this will happen and this will happen. But the word promises us, keep your hope and your expectation on Christ's return. Now, why does he say that? If you're to jump ahead here a little bit, in 18 you would see this, therefore encourage one another with these words. So he's talking about Christ and his return, and he's using it as encouragement with these words. Now if you were to go before in 13, you would read this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Now, the promise isn't that while we are waiting that we won't grieve. The promise is you will grieve, but you will grieve differently. Now, why is that? Why do we grieve differently? We grieve as those who have hope because Christ will return. So in this next year, in this year as a church, in this year as an individual, as we wait, I want us to wait for things that matter. Because you know what doesn't matter? In the big scale of things, who our next pastor is going to be. You will forget my name. You will forget Rich's name. You will forget the next pastor's name. We're halfway to forgetting Randall's name. We will move on. And the church will move on. But what will not be forgotten is Christ and his return. A lot of things that you look forward to in the next couple months will be forgotten. That next toy, that next pair of shoes, that next phone, 
It will be forgotten. It will be replaced. But here's something beautiful in this. You know what else will be forgotten? Pain. You know what else will be forgotten? Loss. Right? In, in our church, there's enough people here that there will be some of us in this room who experience pain this year that is unbelievable. Some of us will experience loss that will feel life crippling. But we're told by Paul in 1 Thessalonians that we do not grieve as those who do not have hope because Christ is going to return. So where's your hope? I said I wanted to start out simple this year. And I want our eyes to be fixed. I want our great expectation to be on Christ's return. I want to start there. That doesn't mean that we forget about the tasks that we've been given. That doesn't mean that you slack off as being a husband or as being a wife or being an employee or being a boss. That means that you fix your eyes on Christ and you grieve not as those who don't have hope, but those who have hope. I want to end with what I think is the most beautiful promise given to us in the same way that they had Malachi 3. We have hope, Revelation 21. This is what we have to look forward to. I want you to close your eyes. We're going to close with this passage here. Revelation 21, starting in 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. Heavenly Father, as your people waited hundreds and hundreds of years to hear from heaven, God, so we too have waited hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years and your promise is that you will return. And if you fulfilled your promise 
a couple thousand years ago with, with the announcement of John's birth, and then even greater with the Messiah that you promised a couple thousand years before, that you too will hold true to your promise, that you will wipe away every tear, that you will defeat death, that the darkness will not overcome the light, and that the words spoken in John 1 will remain true. And God, we want to fix our eyes on that this year. There are a lot of other things that we can fix our hope on. And those things will come and those things will go. But your word, which has given us the words to life, say, Come to me. I have life. I will carry you through. I am enough. And one day we will be together face to face and every tear will be wiped away. God, we want to be a church who thinks about those things. We want to run our race in such a way that our eyes are fixed on that. And God, my eager expectation would be that you would come. I pray that you'd come soon. Thank you for your promises, and thank you for your faithfulness. In your name, amen.